0: You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello, my name's David Frizzell, and welcome to another episode of the Team Guru Podcast. Do any of these sound familiar? You're so busy at work, you lose track of priorities, don't ever seem to really finish anything to a standard you're proud of. You check your email at night during those precious few minutes you should be relaxing and winding down. Your unread email count goes up and up. At night, when you're trying to go to sleep, you find yourself thinking of all the things you need to do, the stuff you've forgotten or didn't have time to finish. Your time is spread so thin, you feel like you're not giving anything the attention it deserves. Your job, your kids, your partner, your friends, your own health. That list of woes is so depressingly familiar to you and me, And the people we care about. Sometimes it feels like we humans have taken a wrong turn somewhere along the way, and we're following a path where priorities are completely out of whack. The important things are pushed to the side for the hysterical demands of the modern workplace. And often, and this is the worst bit, we just accept it as just the way things are and struggle on. It's wrong, and we know it. My guest in this episode is Mel Kettle. And she knows about life being knocked into the wrong shape as well as anyone. But she's done something about it. Her brand new book is called Fully Connected How Great Leaders Prioritize Themselves, Reclaim Their Energy, and Find Joy. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mel Kettle. Mel Kettle, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Thanks so much, David. It's such a pleasure to be here. So Mel, you have recently published a brand new book, Fully Connected, How Great Leaders Prioritize Themselves, Reclaim Their Energy and Find Joy. Sounds amazing. What's your mission with this, Mel? Where did you get started? Why did you get started and what are you hoping to achieve?
1: Yeah, so my mission with this book is for people to read it and take the necessary action that I recommend so they don't end up in the corner in a quivering heap next to a bucket of wine like I was in my late 20s. I had a really stressful job and it impacted every element of my life in a really negative way. And so the reason I wrote this book, it's been a long time coming, is to help people understand that if they don't put themselves first, if they don't prioritise their health, understand what their boundaries are and enforce them as much as possible, then they too could be on the edge of a stroke at
0: 30. (laughs) And many listening may very well feel that way. You do a really nice job towards the beginning of your book, describing some of the lifestyle that people have. I remember one haunting line was from a leader that you'd spoken to who said that they cry on the way home from work at least one day a week. Uh, Another person was talking about the fact that everyone wants a piece of me. My staff want a piece of me. My boss wants a piece of me, the clients, my kids, my wife. And even the way that sentence was structured, just the fact that they see their wife and their kids wanting a piece of them, it just gave you an insight into the trauma that they're experiencing. And I don't know how widespread this is. And I guess that's my question to you. The idea that so many people in our society are working a job that is demanding more and more and more of them, that they are expected to respond to everything all of the time, that our personal lives are getting busier and busier. I mean, kids have never done more school activities or after-school activities or weekend sports than they're doing right now. We are asking ourselves to do so much, and That idea that a lot of people are just feeling burnt out by it all, the old cliche that they feel like they're not giving work everything work is wanting from them, they're not giving their partner everything their partner is wanting, same with the kids, there are other relationships, let alone finding time to do things that give themselves energy and make them feel whole. How widespread is that caricature that I've just painted?
1: I think it's incredibly widespread, and I look at my circle of family and friends and clients and colleagues, and I would be hard-pressed to find more than maybe three or four who would say that that does not describe their life right now. And I feel that the last two, two and a half years of living through a pandemic has, for most people, made it even worse And one reason it's made it worse for people who have office jobs and who've relocated from an office to home is they don't have the cues anymore to say, you have to finish work now. And I certainly remember when I first started working from home 16 years ago, when I worked in an office, I knew that, okay, I'd get up in the morning, I'd do a few things and then I'd get the bus or I'd walk into town and I'd go to my office. And at the end of the day, the cue... Yeah, it was. And the cue to leave work would be everybody around me would be packing up and saying goodbye. And so I'd look at my watch and go, it's 4.30, it's 5 o'clock, it's 5.30, it's 6 o'clock, whatever time it was, it's time to leave now. When I first started working from home, I was fortunate that I had an office, a room that I could dedicate as an office, but it took me a long time to not work you know, many, many hours of the day and many, many hours of the weekend because my laptop was just there. And I had clients who would ring me, you know, all hours of the day and night and on weekends because I was pretty terrible at setting boundaries around that. And I wanted to be helpful. And then at the end of the day, I was fortunate because my husband would come home from work and I would, he would either come home from work, which would be my cue to stop working or I'd hear the Channel 9 news theme at six o'clock on the TV where he'd turned it on, and I'd think, it's six o'clock, I need to stop.
0: (laughs) That was one of the very early pieces of shared wisdom that we developed when we started working from home in early 2020, was that idea that there has to be a cue for you to signal the end of your time at work. Because if you don't have that cue, we no longer at that point, we didn't have the bus trip home or the, the drive home to serve as that physical reminder that we're in transition now. We're moving from work Dave to home Dave and dad, and that's been really important. And of course, like all points of discipline in our life, whether it's diet, sleep patterns, exercise routine, anything that's good for us, it's really hard to be disciplined, but we know that it's good for us when we are. So that is true about the work-from-home revolution, and I've done a number of podcasts that are all about the work-from-home and doing it well, but yours is a little bit broader than that. Your book is about well-being and, and the fact that all great leaders have that in common, that they prioritize themselves so they have their energy, they, they understand what they're about and who they are. You started your book by talking about Australian tennis player Ash Barty. I love that story, and I love the link that you made with the message that you have and the mission that you're on. Tell us a little bit about why you chose to tell Ash Barty's story.
1: I've been a big tennis fan for a long time, hate playing, love watching it. And I've always really admired Ash Barty with her grace and her poise and how gracious she is when she wins and how gracious she is when she loses And so when she retired, I wrote a blog post that's very similar to the introduction to the book saying what I was so impressed with is that she chose to step away from tennis as the world number one. And it's a pretty ballsy thing to do that because so many people would think, how can I be better and better and better? And what more records can I break? And how can I be better known for this game that I love? And so for someone who's as young as she was in her twenties to say, there's many more things I want to do in life, and it's time to step away, I just thought was so incredibly wise and brave. But also what I loved most about it is that she was putting herself first. And she said in her Twitter, and I love that she did it on Instagram. It was a very, with it was one very of humble friends, way to do it, isn't it? Very humble. And she controlled the narrative completely. So my past life was communication and social media consultant and trainer. And I would always say to my clients, you need to control the narrative, and it's really hard to do that with social media. But she took it and shaped it how she wanted it to be, and I really loved that aspect of it too. But I think what I love the most is that she said, this is it. I don't care if people criticize this decision. I don't care if people question why I'm doing it. I know it's right for me, and the people who are most important in my life support me and know that it's right for me as well. And I think that's so important because so often we get caught up in wanting to be better and do better for people who don't mean anything to us.
0: I had the same reaction as you. You wrote about in your book when Ash Barty retired. First of all, I thought, oh, that sucks. I'm not going to get to watch a play anymore. And I love it when an Australian wins a major in anything. I love it when we have success on the global scale in anything. And and there is someone who will give us that. And she's pulling the pin. But that was exactly I, my
1: reaction yeah.
0: too. Like, after I good? got over the initial selfishness, I thought, what a champion. She's bucking the trend while everyone else in her position would be saying, like you said, how do I get better? How do I get more of this? How do I win more prize money? How do I stay at number one for longer? How do I get more majors, or more grand slams under my belt? She just went, you know what? I'm a bit over this and I've got other things to do in my life. Love it and admire it so much. And I love the link that you made. I was going to ask you later, but let's talk about it now while we're on the topic. Why do people, human beings, keep grinding themselves into the dirt for stuff that we're not enjoying and that we know is ephemeral in value, i.e. working from six in the morning to seven at night, always available, always doing that bit extra, putting our family, our health, the things we enjoy doing in our real life last, and actually, Pretty quickly forgetting who we are as a person, anyway, because we're stuck on this awful treadmill. Why do we as humans tend to that? Why are we okay with that?
1: Well, I know why I did it. I behaved that way when I was in my 20s because I was trying to build a career and I worked for an organization that valued hours in the office. And so there was this sense of validation and reward if you were in the office really early and if you left the office really late. And I remember my last week in the job, in this one particular job, my staff said to me as I was walking out the door at 6 p.m., they said, why are you going home so early? Are you sick?
0: Oh, my goodness. And
1: I had been in the office since 7 a.m. as I was every day. And I just looked at them and said, it's my last week. I don't
0: it's, want to and be And at 6 anymore. o'clock. I should have left and an hour and a half ago every day. Exactly. But why so that's your story because you work for an organization that values time at the desk. and a lot of organizations do because, hey, what a, what an awesome thing to inject in the culture because it's just you know, getting more from our slaves. But why do we put up with it in general? why why are we okay with that? Why is it across not just the Western world, but so many different cultures across the globe, is it so normal to be ground into dust by the work that we do?
1: I feel like that's changing and I think that people have had time to reflect on what's genuinely important to them over the last couple of years. So I certainly know, again, from my clients and a lot of my friends and colleagues, that they're not prepared to put up with that anymore and some of them aren't prepared to put up with it because they've had huge health scares that have been brought about because of stress, like heart attacks and strokes and other You know, high blood pressure and other negative things. And they've just realized life is really short. And I think the other thing that a lot of people are now realizing is because they have had more time with their family, they've had less time traveling, they've remembered how much they love the people in their lives. And I'm not saying they didn't love them before, but when you have this routine, and I know I had this routine where I used to travel and I would be away between 80 and 100 nights a year, and I forgot how much I loved being at home. I forgot how important it was to have a morning routine that I could rely on every day. I forgot how important it was to eat, you know, vegetables and to cook a healthy meal and to spend time with my husband having conversations around things that didn't always involve, can you pick me up from the airport at eight o'clock on Thursday night when I come in please?
0: Yeah, seeing the other side and the pandemic certainly did a lot for our society, positives and negatives. And and this is one of the lessons. And we've seen what they've called the great resignation. And, yeah, you know, a little bit of evidence of that. But what I've really pricked my ears to is this quiet quitting that a lot of people are talking about. And, and I guess that's exactly about the question that I asked you before. Why do we allow ourselves to be ground into the, into dust? And a lot of people are saying, no more. I've seen the other side. I've seen a more balanced life. And I can't believe I used to do that. But there's something else you said earlier about why did I do it in my 20s? Because I worked for an organization that valued it. But I guess at the same time, and you said you were trying to build a career. We have that anxiety about, are we going to make it in life? Am I going to be Okay. Because no matter what your plan is coming out of school or university, there is still that part of you that's thinking, am I going to be okay? Am I going to have enough money to be comfortable and not stress my whole life? Am I going to be able to retire? Am I going to be able to buy a a car and a house? And of course, our dreams evolve as we get older, but we have those anxieties. So it makes sense. And if at the same time we have this workplace culture that says you get rewarded if you act like a slave, then those two things combine and we just fall into place. You know, with your admiration for Ash Barty, one of the things that a cynic might say, well, it's easy for Ash Barty, because that's what I was Googling while you were talking before. You're probably wondering while I was on my phone. <laughs> Ash Barty's personal wealth is estimated at forty seven million US dollars. So she's in a different position. I, I still admire, love that she pulled the pin when she did for the reasons that she gave. I admire it very much. But a cynic could say, Well, that's easy for Ash Barty she's set for life. She's got more money than she could ever spend. You and I are not like that. Most people listening to this podcast are not like that. And we don't have the option in our mid-20s to say, you know what, I've had enough of this and I'm just going to go play golf, as nice as that would be. So how, I guess, Mm -hmm. do we balance the responsibilities that we have, the fact that we want fulfillment out of our career, we want to progress and become more senior and all of the things that we dreamed of, but at the same time, we want to maintain a sense of self.
1: Everything in life is a choice, and you need to make decisions around what are your priorities in life, what do you value in life, and what's really important to you in life. And an example of someone who did something similar to Ash is my husband. He was a management accountant. He had good jobs. He earned good money. He was stressed out of his brain. And about probably six or seven years ago, he came home and he said, I just can't do this anymore. And so he'd been doing short-term contracts and the GFC hit and the Newman government came in and got rid of a lot of public servants in Queensland. So competition for contracts in his area increased. And he just said to me, I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm like, well, what do you want to do? I said, you can't just lie on the couch every day, you know, watching golf videos or, you know, on YouTube. You You need to do something. And he applied for a few jobs, and he got a job as a delivery driver for Coles, delivering groceries. And he's been doing that for the last probably six, five years, I think, five to six years, and he loves it. He's a completely different person. But that was a decision that we made together because his income became 20% of what he'd been earning as an accountant. Mm -hmm. And so we had to make big decisions around how would we spend our money? What would we live on? What would my business look like? It had to ramp up to earn a bit more money to pay the bills. Fortunately, at the time, his son was, I think, in year 11 or year 12. So we only had two more years of private school fees. And then that freed up a good chunk of cash, not having that anymore.
0: Whether it's a half-day Energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organisation. Well, that is a great story, and and I think a lot of people listening could relate to that because they might be in the first stage of that story, doing the job that rewards them well, gives them the kind of lifestyle that they w- want, but is stressing them, and they they never feel relaxed. And maybe at even worse than that, they might have lost touch of what it feels like to not be stressed all the time. But yeah. when they think ahead and they think, well, what are the what what are the alternatives? I could become a shelf stacker at Coles. That'd be low stress and very routine and would demand very little of my my brain and my emotion. And when I walked out, I'm finished. No one's going to message me or email me. There's an attraction to that, but there's also a, a much different salary scale. How do I get my head around that? And again, a lot of people would admire what you've hus- your husband's done. I admire it. It must have hurt, I guess, in some ways, his confidence or or his value in himself, but he's obviously adapted to that. But a lot of people are saying, well, I'm not in your position. My wife doesn't have her own booming business. My kids are not yet finished school and are nowhere near it. I'm in a different position to that. Tell us a bit more about the part the, the journey of your husband and, and what we can learn about it more generally for people who aren't in exactly the same position.
1: So initially I think we both thought that he would only do the Coles job for six to twelve months. And he actually he did it for six months, and then he was offered another management accounting contract, which he accepted. And for various reasons, it just didn't work out. And he realised, no, that's not right. And so he went back to Coles, and he's happy. And we both agreed that you can't put too big a price on happiness. But we we'd had various times over our relationship where one of us had had a drop in income, so. I chose to go back to uni full time for a year and so my income dropped. He lost his job and was made redundant quite a few years earlier and so his income dropped. And so we were really good at managing our personal finances so that we had enough money to pay the mortgage and pay the bills and work out what we could you know, sacrifice in terms of social things or not buying as many bottles of wine each month or not going out for dinner as often or having holidays that didn't involve going to the US or overseas, but maybe holidaying locally so that we could save money. And because he's an accountant, he's really good at managing money. And so we put that to the test. But at the end of the day, we made the decision together and we talked about all the pros and cons. And I said to him, I would rather have less money than have a dead husband.
0: Mm, yeah. Wow.
1: And when you can't really put too fine a point on that, I don't think. However, we've also had a lot of friends who've said to us, I'd love to do that. And, you know, I really believe everything is a choice. And I said to one of my friends, well, well, why don't you? And he said, oh, because my kids go to a private school and I pay 40 grand a year in school fees and we're doing this massive renovation on our house and we've got this massive mortgage and my wife doesn't work. And I said, well, they're all choices. And if you genuinely wanted to have a better quality of life with a different job, You could have a conversation about your kids. Do they really want to go to that private school? Do they really need to? Are there other options? Could your wife get a job? Could you do finish the renovation and then, you know, your your house value is going to go up a lot? Could you sell it and buy a smaller house? You know, there's always decisions that we have and they might not be the right decision for you and I'm certainly not going to tell you what decision to make but I feel that sometimes we forget that everything we do every day is a choice.
0: I admire that. I love what your husband did. I think a lot of people would be listening to this and admiring it. But what if we're not ready for that? What if we think that that's never an option and I say to you, "Okay, actually Mel, I've got to stay in the same job that I've got. I'm I'm on the same career trajectory that I've always been and I'm going to I'm going to stick with that, but I want my life yeah. back. I want my yeah. sense of self back. I want to feel well." and less stressed i want to be there for my family both physically and emotionally with my time and myself what are the things that i can do in that case that take me away of being ground into the dust
1: i think the first thing if you're feeling that your job is grinding you into the dust then make a list of what it is about your job that is making you feel that way is it the hours that you're working is it the type of work you're doing is it the people you work with or is it something else and then, who can you talk to at your place of employment about making one, at least one of those things different or better? And if you don't have someone in your workplace that you genuinely have a trusted relationship with, who you can have that difficult conversation with, then look elsewhere. If you've got an employee assistance program, can you talk to them? If you've got a trusted friend or mentor, In a senior position at another organisation, can you get advice from them? Sometimes you might need to, you might decide that I really want to continue working at this level, but this job's not for me. And so you might take a sideways step into another organisation or within the organisation that you're in, or look for other opportunities, doing the same kind of work, but for organisations that will allow you to have closer to the quality of life that you want. The other thing I think that's really important to do that we often forget about is have a look at what are the things that you love doing in life in general? And how can you find time every day to do something that brings you joy? And that could be a really small thing that takes five minutes, or it could be something that takes a half an hour a day, or it could be spending time with somebody who who lights you up every day. Like, you know what it is that brings you joy. So What is it that you can do to infuse more joy into your life?
0: And I get that. I mean, I love both those Mm -hmm. things. The first one is to think about the things that make you feel like your job is grinding you into the dust and then pick one. Start with one and try and fix it. Address it. Pick the one that you think is most fixable or pick the one that you think has the most impact and chip away at it and be determined to fix it. And then once you fix one, I'm thinking, hey, why not try and fix the second one? If you're yeah. in a position where you don't feel like you can move your job like your husband bravely did, then you've got to try and fix it while you're there. And the the second thing you suggested was work out something that brings you joy, something from your old life when you used to be you, and rediscover that and make sure that you find time every day to do something that brings you joy. I don't know. If someone tuned in right now, they would think this is a ridiculous lovey-dovey kind of kumbaya (laughs) thing. But we're talking about, and you and I have seen this, real human beings that go to work every day and they hate their life. And when they go home, they are still plagued by what went on at work because they're still hearing about it and having demands placed on them. And they're not who they want to be for their their people at home. You know, I always say, I've taken to saying lately- Mel, the whole reason for me being in leadership and team development, I've worked out, is not to improve the bottom line of businesses, because there are enough people in trying to improve the bottom line of businesses. The thing that brings me joy about leadership and team development is that it might make people happier while they're at work. Help them feel more supported, more content, as though they're doing something positive. Take away some of the hurt, because Got it. It feels like we've reached the point in our society. It's it seems crazy to say, but we have just forgotten that we're human beings. And I know so many people who live this way. So why as humans do we find it so hard to do these things? Why do we find it so hard to break out of these cycles that we get in where we know we're miserable, we know we're not satisfied with any part of our life, but we just stay in the rut.
1: I feel like we often place our sense of self-worth and value based on how other people think of us, talk to us, and perceive us. and
0: That's not helpful or healthy. Wow. It's almost like we are on some level of consciousness making the choice that says, hey, I am a very busy professional ex in whatever role, and I like being able to say that when I meet people, and I like people thinking of me that way, so I'm willing to suffer in my real life every day so that people will think of me that way and I can present to people that way.
1: It's like the professional keeping up with the Joneses, mm. you know, where you have to be as good as or better than the people around you, the neighbours, the, jo- the mythical Jones family. Mm. Another quick story, many, many years ago one set of our next-door neighbours sold their house next to us and they got an enormous amount of money for it, way more than they'd paid for it. Our neighbours on the other side, who'd bought their house about the same time as the first lot of neighbours, thought, ooh, they've made a huge amount of money, we're going to sell our house as well. And so they did, and they made a massive amount of money, but they didn't have anywhere to go. They'd bought this block of land that they decided to build on, so they rented in the short term, and they spent the majority of the profit from the massive profit that they made renting and building this house on this block of land that wasn't ready for them to move into. And I just thinkers. thought, why would you do that? But mm. it was this – they've made this much money. We're in competition with them. Their, their kids were best friends, and they wanted to make as much. And I wow. just went, oh, my God, life's too short for that, surely. But it wasn't for them. So, it right, was, now, again, it was about perception.
0: W- but I'm going to ask you for your three nuggets of wisdom to finish this off. But before we get there, I'm going to point out the obvious, that we've been trying to think of ways that we can smooth this over or even solve these problems – from an individual point of view. And that's great because it's only us that we can take responsibility for and only we will take responsibility for ourselves. So if if we want to improve our situation, there's only one person who's going to do that. So I love that. But we're also talking about organizations. And I know that some of the work that you do is with organizations working on their culture and aiming for it to be a, a, an organization that promotes human well-being how realistic is that i mean we are a capitalist society where the bottom line matters where all businesses when it comes down to it will take profit over human welfare almost all businesses i suppose i can't say all but that's what it comes down to even not for profit businesses will do that if it means outcomes for clients over the well-being of staff so yes we can attack this from the the me point of view doing what i can but where is this all headed for organisations, or are we just going to continue to ratchet up the commitment? Is good work time in the office is good, and that's the only way you'll get ahead.
1: So there's research that shows when leaders are prioritising themselves and have what I call fully con- have a, a fully connected to themselves, so they've got self awareness, they know what motivates them, and they prioritise self care. They go to work and they're happier and they're healthier, and they communicate with conviction. And the flow-on effects to the organisation are that they have a team and an organisation that is more aligned, more engaged, and feels like they belong. And when people feel like they belong at work, you have greater focus, greater productivity, and greater profit. So if that isn't enough of a reason to start prioritising yourself and encouraging the people in your workplace to be looking after their health and well-being and supporting them to do that, I don't actually know what is. <laughs>
0: Right, how about that for a you know a a breakthrough? Happy people who are well rounded and content and have a good life away from work will actually be better workers when they do come into the office. What a breakthrough! And they'll be
1: healthier. They'll be healthier, so they'll have fewer sick days. They'll be more, you know, they'll go to work and they'll actually do their jobs. And there's less risk of mistakes. And you know, errors and confusion, Mm -hmm. which is better for everybody. So there's less time wasted doing things twice or three times or fixing mistakes.
0: (laughs) Good for everyone for us to be, as you say, fully connected. All right, Mel, leave us with your nuggets of gold. Lots of people have listened to you today. They love your message. They love the mission that you're on. What are three things you can leave us with so I remember you tomorrow and next week and next month?
1: So the first thing is, if you haven't been to the doctors for over a year and had a simple checkup of things like your blood pressure and various blood tests and a general health check, go and do that because there's so many things that can be going wrong with your body that you don't know about. So get a full health check and make sure that everything's working in your body and your brain as it's supposed to. Second is find something to do every day that you love and plan to do it before you go to bed at night. So you go to bed with something to look forward to the next day, because when we have something to look forward to, we're happier and we're feeling and we have a much greater sense of, oh my God, I'm having a total mental blank here. Look forward to something tomorrow and that will improve your quality of life. And then the third thing is work out what your priorities are and create some boundaries so that you say yes to more things that benefit you and you don't say yes to things that are not helpful
0: to helping you achieve your goals. I love those. Number one is go to the doctor for a checkup because if you've related to this conversation tonight, then you have probably been more stressed over a long period of time than you should have been. And you need to make sure that you get ahead of that when it comes to your health. Number two was find something to do every day that you love. It's about your quality of life. Do it before you go to bed so you feel great. Now, here's a tip, and disagree with me if you like, Mel, but you do not actually love watching Netflix. That's easy and lazy, and just it's the path of least resistance. Because like Stephen Covey says, if you spend all your time solving other people's problems and putting out fires and doing urgent, urgent, urgent stuff, when you finally get a break from that, you go down to the not important, not urgent quadrant and you just fluff out or you just you just sort of veg out. That's not actually that enjoyable. So as much as you think Netflix is great, there are probably a dozen things in your life that make you feel better. And if you were to spend your time yeah. before you go to bed doing that, you will feel so much better over, over the short term. Agree or disagree, Mel?
1: I totally agree. However- I'm not dissing Netflix because there are some great shows on TV. What I will say is if there's a show that you want to watch, then watch it with intent. Really enjoy it and, you know, watch it because you want to, not because you're killing time and you're randomly scrolling through everything that's on. And the show that we've watched recently, which fits that category perfectly, is Welcome to Wrexham about the Welsh soccer club that Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney bought Sean and I have watched that over the last week, loved every minute. And before I came down to record this, he said, what do you want to watch tonight? And I'm like, I don't want to watch anything. I just want to go and read my book. (laughs) I'm TV'd
0: out right now. (laughs) Because we just spent, it becomes the default. Once I've finally done everything, I've finally done all that work. I've got the kids into the bed. I've cleaned up the kitchen. Now it's time to veg out. But you know, hey, like you say, maybe that's what people really enjoy some of the time, but it's the default, and we're just robbing ourselves of the chance to do truly fulfilling things. A lot of people listening to this right now will actually be more fulfilled by a quality piece of literature, by some brilliant Absolutely. writing that they've always wanted to read. That's a bit harder, and it's not the path of least resistance like Netflix is, but it will make you feel so much more fulfilled. Now, I'm not dissing Netflix either, Mel, but, but I think as a as a society – we just go to that we just gravitate to that yeah. kind of lazy sort of time-killing enjoyment when we could be doing so much more and number 3 of course was to work out your priorities so you can say no to the wrong things the things that aren't getting you closer to where you want to be and you can say yes to the right things the things that are helping you feel more fully connected and and well how's that for a summary That sounds pretty good to me. Thank you. Great, Mel. Look, I've really enjoyed having you on the Team Guru podcast. Thank you so much for coming and having a conversation tonight.
1: Thanks so much, David. It's been great talking to you as well.
0: And that was Mel Kettle. You know, I barely asked any of the questions I'd planned for Mel. I just got so wrapped up in the conversation and the topic, the human pain that lies beneath this weird world we've created for ourselves. The stats back it up. Depression, obesity, disengagement at work, failing marriages, the list goes on. But it's the real life experiences that we have that really drive it home as an issue. The people we know and care about being crushed under the weight of ridiculous expectations. But, and obviously... The responsibility lies with us as individuals to take control, to become fully connected, in Mel's words, so we can find ourselves again. I loved Mel's top three tips. Number one, go to the doctor for a checkup, blood pressure, full health check, the works. Because if you've been feeling under pressure for a period of time, there is little doubt it's had an impact on your health. Number two, find something to do every day that you love. Don't make excuses, create the time, make it happen. It's essential for your quality of life. And number three, work out your priorities. Get very clear about what matters in your world. That will make it easier for you to say yes to the right things and no to everything else. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Mel on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud or LinkedIn and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.